My Family Thinks I'm Crazy, a podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most, because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've been telling everybody that our government is shady, but every time I do, my family thinks I'm crazy. Like, oh, here we go, Mark. Off again with your... Mark being Mark again. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's the thing about podcasts is when you're on the air, it's like therapy, you know? If I can't talk to my family about this stuff, I'll talk to you, Matt, and all our listeners. Yeah. So who are we talking about today, Matt? I've always questioned the things that I've been taught. My idea of crackpot, we're talking about what Mark's talking about here. This right now, Bob, is a conspiracy. We're conspiring to create a podcast. Birds never fly in front of cars, and if you think birds fly in front of cars, you're an idiot. Put water on a high ledge, it's going to drip down the basics so that we can be uh, little bees, worker bees in the colony. Me, I tend to stay away from the doctor altogether. That's a personal choice. Ever since I've gone down these, as many people call rabbit holes, talking about conspiracy theories. Get into conspiracy theories. These conspiracy theories, conspiracy theory stuff transcended with the truth. Just because my consciousness is not separate from the truth. It exists in the same consciousness as everything else. And I'm not an expert. I'm not a scientist. I would smoke weed with people uh, thinking like, oh, we're all smoking weed. We all have the same, you know, mindset. And then I would bring up UFOs and they'd be like, what are you talking about? Well, I can't argue any of that. Uh, uh, I've always questioned the things that I've been taught. It wasn't crackpot city like I had imagined. I'm coming to is the, the folks that are in the conspiracy world. And I know there's quite a few that I've I have met and I and I liked very much. So there, it wasn't crackpot city like I had imagined when I first heard the word. <sighs> Ultimately, really, love is the is the bottom line for all of it. Welcome to another amazing episode of the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. This is another swap cast, and 
Like the last episode with Alex Sakaris, this is a guest who I have known for almost a year now and have become very, very good friends with. He is a mutual friend with Sam Tripoli, and Sam hit me up one day a couple months ago. He said, hey, I got a friend named Bob. He wants you to help him find some guests for his show. I said, sure, that's awesome. And since then, Bob and I have gotten to know each other. His podcast, as you might find out, uh, and maybe you suspect from the title of this episode, is not about conspiracy theories. He is purely someone who's interested in the cutting edge, specifically in the realms of the health and alternative health fields, uh, body, mind, and spirit, that sort of thing. He talks about all sorts of really interesting topics on his show from how to improve uh, futurism, what the future holds for human beings, and all sorts of interesting stuff. And Bob is a special guy. He's written on a bunch of TV shows, Roseanne, The Drew Carey Show, Mad About You, Freaks and Geeks, Mind of a Married Man, According to Jim, Dog with a Blog, uh, Mark Marin's TV show, Mark Marin's like the legend in podcasting, and then uh, the latest show, Stand Against Evil on uh, IFC. I used to like watching IFC when I was when I was still watching television. And Bob and I were both a part of the Union of the Unwanted a couple weeks ago. The topic was spirituality, and I asked Bob if he would like to take part in it. Or possibly uh, Sam asked him. I, I don't remember who. But either way, Bob and I ended up talking after the podcast. And he mentioned, you know, hey, like, I didn't realize how thoughtful, kind, and open-minded these people who identified as conspiracy theorists were. I feel like I maybe uh, underestimated them or, uh, or had the wrong impression. He said, I'd like to talk to somebody about conspiracy theories on my podcast. And I said, well, Bob, I think I'd be the right guy for that. So the following episode is me explaining to Bob what conspiracy theories are and why they are worthwhile for someone who considers themselves a skeptic. And I've been doing this kind of thing for many, many, many years because, you know, my family thinks I'm crazy and most of the people that have met me do too and I think over time I've gotten better at presenting a case for what I passionately believe in or know to be true and if anything I think this episode could serve as an example for you to do the same thing in your life you know we might not have gotten into any deep conspiracy theories in this episode but I think what you'll here is uh, me doing my best to make a case for something that I think I accomplished my goal and Bob had a really really uh, interesting take on the whole thing but I don't want to spoil the end he definitely is a skeptic and he definitely is uh, I would say twice my age so we're from way different generations and Bob is already a dude who's kind of on the fringe in the sense that he realized from a young age that you know he liked doing things that were against the grain you know Bob grew up in the 60s in the hippie era and got into comedy he's done comedy with some really really 
really big names, people you know. And you might not know that Bob also uh, was a comic himself. He actually worked with Norm MacDonald. Rest in peace, Norm MacDonald recently passed away. Um, so yeah, like I said, friend of Sam's, really good guy, host of his own podcast called The Exploding Human. I can't believe I haven't mentioned that yet. And, uh, you know, on The Exploding Human, he's looking to expand, explore, and explode. Uh, not always in that order. And I think on this episode, we certainly expanded and explored upon the topic of conspiracy theory without exploding, uh, <laughs> at least uh, in a negative way. But either way, folks, thank you for tuning in to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. This is episode 98. Wow. And this is a swap cast, to be fair. Bob kind of hosted this one. Uh, but show him some love. Go subscribe to his podcast. The links are in the episode description. As always, for every episode, we include all the links. We also include all the links to support this show, the show you've come to love so, so much. We're close to you, then get a little closer. Come join the family on Patreon, patreon.com slash MFTIC. And thanks again for tuning in to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast with Bob Mickman, host of exploding human podcast and writer for the drew carey show one time bob told me that uh drew carey is the nicest guy in the world it's uh the rumors are true so anyways enjoy this interview yeah good morning mark it's nice to see you good morning bob it's a pleasure to be here and <laughs> look how formal we are. I know Mark previous to this podcast, and maybe that will be in the intro or maybe it won't. I don't know. But we're going to talk about something today that actually Mark uh, uh, introduced me to this world that I didn't know mm. anything about. When I started to do my podcast, as you know, I, I do a lot of stuff on health in all body, mind, and spirit, but a lot of it is in what you would call the holistic and or alternative world. I had no idea there were so many people involved in the health field that would be considered people in the conspiracy world. Now, I don't really understand what that world is yet. I've been introduced to a number of of people. Now I'm going to say a couple of things and I'm going to have you define what you think conspiracy is. Cause when the first thing, when I hear con the word conspiracy, I know, let me just say this. There are real conspiracies. Let's just talk about Watergate is a very obvious one that everyone knows. So that is, it was an actual conspiracy. Then there's this thing called conspiracy theory. And when I hear conspiracy theory, I'm going to be very honest with you. I think crackpot nut job, paranoid person. And because some of the some of the things I've heard are so outlandish that I can't even begin to believe that somebody else would believe it. Now, in between the, the very obvious conspiracy and what I'm talking about, I think is where a lot of the things you talk about reside. Mm. I may not be correct in that. But let's define the word first, because there is there is crackpot stuff and then there is stuff that's real so what is the your definition of of uh conspiracy and 
what is the what are the parameters for truth within that? Mm, okay. Well, <clears throat> thank you again for having me here, Bob. I I try to identify as a conspiracy realist or a conspiracy analyst rather than a theorist because I think theories are just theories and you know when we start getting into what most people would call conspiracy theory we're talking about more than just theories we're talking about events we're talking about people we're talking about time periods we're talking about psychological movements so to speak and when i use that term psychological movements i guess i just mean like one person has a bunch of ideas that inspires many other people psychologically to then go and do something that they wouldn't have done without that initial inspiration. There are many different roads you can walk down and still be under the umbrella of conspiracy, you know, from Sasquatch to Loch Ness and the Bermuda Triangle and aliens, you know, the things you would see maybe in the later hours of like the Discovery Channel or History Channel's <laughs> programming, you know, towards the the you know early part of my life those were the most fascinating things i i was reading books like guinness world records and ripley's believe it or not and these kind of encyclopedia type books had a lot of strange little pieces of information in them you know with all the records and the more common stuff there were these fringe subjects that existed inside of both of these books that at like the age of five six seven became really really intensely fascinating the idea of like spontaneous combustion the idea that there are werewolves out there like all of these things that you might consider fantasy when you look a little further you find out that there are people in places in time who have experienced things that don't fall within the category of explained phenomena right so we have this whole category of unexplained phenomena and I'll, I'll label that as just kind of one aspect of conspiracy theory so to speak but in my opinion that was what got me interested as a kid you know being so fascinated with animals Sasquatch, Loch Ness, Wendigo, and all these other creatures that are sort of on the periphery of real animals became so much more fascinating. Not only because of like the, like I said, the late night programming that I might have watched, but because there were books I would find that showed me that this is not an isolated incident. These are experiences that people have had across the world and they weren't in contact with each other, you know? It, it's not like the same Hold guy. On one second. Sure, I, sure. My wife has got some loud noises on. I'm going to, you can't hear, hear no. it probably, but it's distracting me. I'll be right back. Sure, sure. <laughs> Bob just walked uh, <laughs> through a door behind a palm tree. <laughs> Oh, I think Bob's about to enter back through the palm tree. No? Sorry about that. It's this very loud Neil Young playing from the other room. 
Okay. Neil Young? Neil Young. (laughs) So all of these things became really interesting to me when I was a kid. You know, this idea that, all right, here's the accepted group of animals, and then creatures like Bigfoot, Loch Ness Monster, even the Chupacabra, they're... They exist. People are seeing them, but they're not scientifically accepted. So that kind of laid the the foundation for me to see that, all right, there are certain things in this world that don't fit into the, let's call it, established paradigm. Now, that's not to say that anything that doesn't fit into the established paradigm has value or is worthwhile to think about. But when you have a case like... I think Sasquatch is a, is a good case to use as an example because you have people in the Himalayan mountains, you have people in Australia, you have people in South America, North America, and even, strangely, in Europe, mostly Eastern Europe and Russia. But you have people all over the world in all six habited continents who encounter beings that don't fit in to that narrative. Now, you can go and say, well, these people are whack jobs, they're attention seekers, they want to be a part of a larger story, you know, they want to they want to make their their life more interesting than it actually is. So when they go to these remote areas where there is nobody else, they can kind of maybe hallucinate these things or or just full whole cloth come up with them and hoax them and, and make them appear as if they they were real events, but they're, they're just a product of that person's imagination. Now, if that was the case, and I'm not afraid of that conclusion, you know, when I was looking into this stuff, it, it was totally uh, on my mind that like, oh, well, this is all baloney. Like there's not, there's no real Bigfoot. And like, if I just read far enough, I'll find, I'll find out whether or not it's real or not. And I never got to that point. And I think it's because, I think it's because there's something going on that you can't account for. And what gave me even more validation of this suspicion was the fact that indigenous cultures around the world have very similar stories. Now, again, people would dismiss that and say, oh, primitive thinking, you know, these people are not using the, the modern genius that we have and we, we take advantage of in our modern thinking. So, of course, they have silly stories of hairy men in the woods because they're primitive. Well, they also have stories of the Sirius B constellation, which was not observable to the naked eye. You know, that there are indigenous groups of people who knew about certain constellations that we only found out in Western civilization when the telescope was invented. But they had prior knowledge. So I think what I began to learn over time is that the indigenous cultures were kind of like a key to some of these larger issues that I was looking at. Why did these types of information, such as cryptids or even extraterrestrial relationships. Why did they fall uh, in that realm of most people don't believe them, but the people who have been on this land the longest don't even question them? It's just a, it's a part of their culture. And it's even a part of, you know, indigenous cultures, like I said, around the world who were geographically isolated from each other. I mean, based on the mainstream paradigm, 
there's no cross-pollination between aboriginals in Australia and, you know, the Northwest Pacific people in Washington, yet they still have the same story. You know, in Australia, they call it a Yowie, and in, in Washington State, they call it a Sasquatch. Either way, they're describing the same creature. So, you know, I, I'm sure you didn't expect us to go down, like, the paranormal, supernatural route right off the bat, Bob, but I think that kind of lays the foundation for where we can go further in this conversation and also explains how I got interested in this. You know, from a young age, animals were always so fascinating. I mean, even now I have a bunch of books on animals, but when I was a kid, that was my interest. I would read books about animals and, and learn as much as I could about all the different animals in the world. So, yeah, I, I you know, the, the, I, I find out, you know, that there's, the, there's lots of things that can't be explained, obviously, and there's, there's, you know, intuition, things you can't see that you know are real because you can, you can sense things are going on. That, that's all, you know, stuff I've talked about on, on the podcast, you know, and I want, I literally want Sasquatch to be a real thing because it's fucking cool as shit. <laughs> but, and I think I may have seen one at a bar late night some woman in the corner that was coming at me <laughs> like 25 years ago. <laughs> Tell your wife to turn the Neil Young up a little louder. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's like, you know, my, my argument kind of that would say, well, it doesn't exist is we don't, no one's got one. No one's seen a dead one. Mm. No one, you know, there's not any in the zoo. Loch Ness has has been explored with submarines and sonar and all kinds of stuff. And nothing has ever been really confirmed in the conventional sense of, you know, here it is. Now, is it some, is it from another dimension? Maybe, I don't know. I, I don't know enough about life to, to say that something is coming from a fourth dimension. I don't know, but I don't, I don't really care. I mean, I, I want it to be true. So, you know, that would be great. But that is, is that conspiracy or is that just sort of this interesting kind of a phenomenon that we, you know, we love stories. Stories are great. Mythological stories, ancient stories. I love that stuff. It's just, I think it's more of a, there's something to be learned in those stories rather than them being maybe Mm. not exactly factual in the way that, you know, you have that headband around your forehead. So they're they're more parable than they are meant to be taken as literal possibly record. Possibly. Okay. And I I definitely don't, you know, wholeheartedly disagree with that, but I've found more evidence to maybe point me in a different direction and you know, when when you ask what the conspiracy is about Bigfoot, a lot of people will tell you that the paper industry and the forestry groups, they don't want Sasquatch to be recognized as a real creature because that would cause them a lot of problems as far as land ownership and national park, what do they call it, allocation. So whenever you find a a species that's endangered, I mean, we would imagine that unless the Bigfoot is extremely extremely elusive it is either in really low number or is you know only found in certain areas or certain types of areas which 
if we discovered them as like a real species, then that could pose a lot of issues for the people who make paper and the people who cut down trees for lumber and all the other industries that rely on those uh, clear cutting of the forest. And and yeah, there are there are definitely some conspiracy theories with the national parks that we can get into. So they're not like a whole wholesome group themselves, but there's a lot of theories that say that they don't necessarily want people to be afraid of coming to their national parks because of a big wild man that potentially is lurking in the in the forest right that would be bad publicity and and probably turn a lot of people away from 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 you know hiking up those admission costs and and what that would make me want to go i'd want to see it i think most people do go for those reasons but that's not what how they want to advertise you know in terms of of the first thing he said i'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna uh, give you another scenario the the paper industry and clear-cutting forests i mean th- their biggest obstacle is the fact that they're fucking up the environment and that's just clearly obvious i don't you, you think actually like the idea of a, a rare species is going to stop them any more than the people who are going stop screwing up the environment, polluting and cutting down trees. I mean, that's just clearly obvious. Uh, that seems very a, a very big stretch, Mark, to me. Mm. Now, that and I don't know. I don't know. I'll, I'll let you. No, that's that. all right. We can we can yeah. turn this we can turn this into whatever you want, Bob. A debate, yeah, we'll or if you, if you want to challenge, that's fine. I oh, I do. I I do want to challenge because I think the audience is is going to do the same thing. Mm. Well, because what you what you are talking about is as much as I would love all this stuff to be true. I'm I I would like to say I'm a realist also, and I love weird shit. I do. I love it. But I also have to go, well, where is it? I want to see it. I want to shake Sasquatch's hand, you know, something. Well, a lot of people don't know that, you know, you were a guest on the number one conspiracy podcast in the world, Tinfoil Hat Bob. So, you know, you, 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 you're definitely not afraid of the weird. And you no, de- I am not. I, I, I love it. And I, and I love weird people. And I don't think you guys are necessarily... Um, well, you definitely are not you know, dangerous in any way, but some of the conspiracy stuff that when it melds with bizarre, when it melds with violence and acting out based on false beliefs right. or even real beliefs, whether they're false or not, that, that frightens me. No, oh, yeah. The idea, I, I, and I'll give you the most graphic example was that nut job, and I'm going to call him a nut job that thought Hillary Clinton was running a pedophile ring out of a pizza parlor, (laughs) completely off the fucking charts. Crazy. And then went in there and, you know, did some, and it was violent. What, what, well, no, no, no. Let's, let's not go, you know, you know, what did he do in there? Right. No. Okay. All right. But this let, let's, let's come back to this. Cause the reason why I brought up the Sasquatch stuff is to give you an idea of how I got into things that might be outside the mainstream. Hillary Clinton. (laughs) (laughs) No, don't delete it because I'll tell you what, I think that, you know, we can call that guy a nut job. That's, that's an odd thing to call him considering that he went into that place, didn't shoot a single person and instead shot the hard drive that had, supposedly 
the evidence on it. So we can call him a nut job because, yeah, if you're firing a weapon in a public place, you must be some kind of nut. But he's a very accurate nut job and a very maybe not benevolent, but he's the kind of nut job that didn't kill anybody. So you have to it begs the question, like, why bring a rifle into a pizza place and only shoot a computer? Good question. <laughs> yeah, which is which is the conspiracy theorist in me who says like, okay, when we're looking at things from multiple angles, we have to be able to not rule anything out, right? And I think a lot of people, when they get into uh, these sort of crazy stories that we see in the news, the news gives us a very easy road to follow. And there are several dead ends that they'll lead you down in order to create that atmosphere of like, well, of course he was a nut job. And, and you don't look into the finer details like what I just pointed out, which is like, sure, he's a nut job. But why was he so accurate? And why was his intention to only shoot that computer, especially considering what what we're learning or what? they say about that restaurant if that restaurant is connected to some sort of political blackmail ring then wouldn't there be evidence on that computer that is in their office i mean to me it seems like it was more of a more of a a plan to get that computer destroyed while also covertly sort of giving the impression that conspiracy theorists have unfounded interest in this pizza place because what you find out is that gentleman who you call the nut job he is actually related to this man who owns the pizza place and also had done some work for the fbi so you find out that this guy is not just a, a random whack job conspiracy theorist because i'll tell you what bob you know with my job booking conspiracy theorists you'd be hard pressed to get any of them to sit down with someone in the FBI, let alone join the FBI. So the fact that this guy was working with the FBI, it just doesn't make sense that he was also a conspiracy theorist. I mean, we don't have to, you know, totally break down the whole Pizzagate conspiracy because I, I know that's not really what our intention was yeah. with this conversation. But I think, you know, that was a great chance for me to get into this this paragraph here that I found that I wanted to read to you. It's written by Brad Steger. He's an author and he compiled sort of like an encyclopedia of conspiracy theories, so to speak. And one of the things he says on the on the seventh page is conspiracy theories are often replete with inner paradoxes, internal paradoxes, and some are easily dismissed by rational folks as completely weird and crazy. Often, the truth lies in the middle, and the task of the serious researcher is to make an intelligent discernment, to, to dismiss some conspiracy theories as too wild and off the wall to deserve attention. So here you go. The guy who wrote the encyclopedia on conspiracy theories is recommending discernment, and I think that is the impression that I get from the podcasters that I choose to listen to. And, you know, conspiracy theory at first was something relegated to books, certain authors. And, you know, I'm sure having like like the Playboy column, Robert Anton Wilson, you know, collecting all these conspiracy theories that was kind of culturally known as a, a repository of conspiracy theories like the Playboy 
magazines, right? So it's been a very counterculture type thing up until podcasting. And that's kind of why we had this conversation because when you joined us on the Union of the Unwanted for a conversation about spirituality, you found out that there was almost 50 of us there who were really, I would say, interested in conspirituality, where spirituality and conspiracy meet, right? Because Sam says this a lot. He started out by looking into conspiracy theories and realized that what was going on was indeed spiritual, and I think the reason why is the re same reason why a lot of people in the 90s and the 80s became atheists, because they found like, oh, this church, this religion, they're not offering me any real deep spiritual meaning or even, you know, not such an extreme turn. I think a lot of people in the past 60 years have looked towards Eastern religions and, and you know, non-secular, uh, or I'm sorry, non, what's the word I'm looking for? Theosoph, theosophy, you know, like things that are not totally all theos, you know which word I'm thinking of, right? You're, talking, you're thinking about just conventional sort of Western religions. Theocracy, not, no, no, I'm sorry. Either way, people know what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about theosophy. And I'm not talking about theocracy. There's another word that starts with T-H-E-O that I'm thinking of. And I think a lot of people have gravitated into the more fringe realms of spirituality in the past 50 and 60 years. And that's a little more mainstream and understandable. People are like, oh, yeah, I get why you don't like going to church. I get why you, know, I get why you might want to do yoga and meditate. Now, when it comes to conspiracy, I think it's this, it's in the same vein, you know, because just as easily as, you know, we can justify it like, oh, I want to be a yogi rather than a Catholic. I think the same goes true for like political ideology. Like, I don't want to think within this old world paradigm anymore. I want to see what's actually going on. And I think what's what the internet age and podcasting has done is given us a larger pool of human beings to connect with, which in some ways, if we're going to look at things from a mathematical perspective, would only increase the chances of a common truth being found. Now, whether or not that common truth is the actual truth, I think that's still up for debate. But what I, th I think I've seen happen with podcasting in my four or five years interacting with them is a crowdsourcing of information where an event happens and people immediately are saying like, oh, well, this, this happened and this happened. I saw a video about this. Like, let's take, you know, any event in the past 10 years, Boston bombing, we can take the Vegas shooting, we can take the, you know, something more benign like that, that ship that got caught in the canal a couple months ago. Anytime an event like that comes into the mainstream media, you immediately have a bunch of people who are dissecting the different conspiratorial aspects of that story. That doesn't mean that the first guy is right. It doesn't mean that the second, third, fourth, fifth guy who takes a story and kind of gives his spin on it doesn't mean they're right. But I think within that composite of all of these different people using their perspective to kind of analyze something that's going on in, in the mainstream media, we're finding 
that there are, just like the Sasquatch conversation, there are angles that you just can't dismiss. There are things that occur that you just can't write off. And I think that's what gives conspiracy theories the kind of fuel to then become conspiracy realists, because we're seeing that, like, oh, the, there is a clear concerted effort to stifle certain information and sort of pump in another narrative and we can you know talk about covid and all that but i think you know maybe 9-11 would be a better example because now you see architects and engineers for 9-11 truth i mean that's a list of hundreds of people who are college educated in the fields that would educate someone as to how a building is made, how a building could then conceivably be destroyed, and what that destruction would look like. I think it's absolutely absurd that that amount of engineers and architects would have gotten behind the cause of, hey, there's something going on with this 9-11 narrative, if it was just a conspiracy theory and there was nothing there, I don't think that Richard Gage and the other architects and engineers for the truth behind 9-11 would be interested at all if it was just a conspiracy theory. I mean, we're talking about guys who spent their whole lives studying civil engineering, studying iron and how to, you know, how to build a steel frame before you, you put the windows in and all the different aspects that go into building a skyscraper. I don't think these guys are armchair experts. These are bona fide experts. And they're looking at what happened on 9-11 and saying, oh yeah, this is not what the mainstream media is telling us. So right there, there's a case for a conspiracy theory that falls into the realm of maybe conspiracy reality. And that makes me want to kind of break down the definition of conspiracy. It's just one or, or I'm sorry, two or more people getting together to do one thing. That's it. That's a conspiracy. I mean, this right now, Bob, is a conspiracy. We're conspiring to create a podcast. So I think when we're, when we're talking about conspiracy theory, what we're really saying is there is an ulterior motive or an ulterior agenda that exists outside of the agenda that we are given. The causality of events is told to be a certain way. But the more you dig into it, you find out that there is a different causality at play where groups of people who like to be, you know, shrouded and remain hidden have more control and wield more influence than we are led to believe through our traditional education that's supposed to teach us about everything. Just like I thought the animal books I had were teaching me about every animal, but then I find out that there's this Bigfoot out there and you got to buy a whole nother separate book to learn about him. It's like, well, why, why isn't Bigfoot in the animal book I have already? Like this book has all the animals in it. Well, because there's an ulterior motive somehow that's keeping that information outside of the uh, mainstream. That was a wonderful explanation. I, I, that was probably the best I've, I've heard on that. And, and what, what I'm, um, sort of seeing and because i guess i i I like to call myself more of a uh, skeptic and explorer i guess the word conspiracy has a lot of 
emotion behind it of mm. paranoia and uh, those kinds of things. But, you know, as I've always questioned the things that I've been taught, that's just something I've done, you know, whether it's about health, which is kind of what my, this podcast is about body, mind, spirit approaches to ways to live other than what I've conventionally been, you know, taught over the years. And that applies to everything. And so it's, it's, it's worthwhile to question absolutely one of the greatest things that can be done. I guess the, the emotional sort of underpinning of that word, it brings up paranoia and a way of for people to feel important because they have the information that mm. other people don't. This is what I'm, and what I, what I notice is when there's an event, like you were talking about, there's all these very intense opinions about it. And it's almost adversarial in a sense. It's like if, if, if the quote mainstream media says something, it's got to be a lie if you are in this other camp of conspiracy. Mm. Sometimes it isn't. Sometimes it's just there was a car accident at the corner of 3rd and Main. It happened. Right. Well, you're familiar with <laughs> you <know>? gaslighting, right, <laughs> Bob? I'm very familiar with gaslighting. I might be totally wrong because for the longest time, I didn't really know what that term meant, but it kind of dawned on me right now, and I'm going to do my best to explain it, and maybe this will satisfy your question there because I think you're absolutely right. There is an adversarial aspect to our modern world in the sense that like two people can witness a car crash into a wall Bob might think that, you know, the woman was texting on her phone and Dave, who was standing on the other side of the street, he might have seen like a bird fly in her way and, and say like, oh, no, she crashed because there's a bird on her windshield. And you're like, no, I saw her. She was on her phone, you know, and it creates like, well, what's true? You know, we both know that the car crashed, but why was it because she was texting? Was it because a bird flew in between, you know, her and yeah. and her, her line of sight? Right. I think maybe the wall jumped out in front of the car. <laughs> but but now but now you have. Right. So Bob and Dave are arguing over that. But then you have a third person, Mark, who comes in and he's like, no, 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 no. Birds don't fly in front of cars. Birds never fly in front of cars. And if you think birds fly in front of cars, you're an idiot. She was texting like. Like, and, and that, you know, just takes everybody and it, like, makes them even more defensive than they would have been. Because, like, you know, ultimately, like, we're worried about Cindy. She crashed into a wall. Like, it doesn't really matter whether, you know, she was texting or, or on, you know, distracted by a bird. But you can see, like, you know, immediately being right or having the information becomes a part of it when that third angle of like, no, 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 this is the way it is. And it's never any other way. Then those two parties who were like kind of just objective. Now they're becoming more subjective about their opinion. Cause it's like, Oh no, I'm being, I'm being told I'm wrong. You know, I saw what I saw. How can you tell me I'm wrong? You know? And, and I think when you, when you turn people towards each other in that adversarial way, it creates a defensive energy that, isn't isn't conducive to theorizing right in a laboratory there's no debate you don't you know watch the beaker 
you know, fill with a certain chemical and it reacts to that other chemical and then argue about how it happened. You and your lab partner know that you put nitrate in that beaker and then this other chemical came in and it caused the reaction and we're going to record that. You know, it's very different than what we're talking about in the first example where there's some subjectivity between, you know, what caused this person to crash. So I think we have to have a little bit of, of you know, pre-preparatory information with those kind of examples before I say what I'm about to say, which is there is a Hegelian dialect that has been created where you have an intention, right, for what you want a group of people to do. And you realize that just telling them what to do is not going to work. So... Instead, you give them a problem that they can argue over until you realize that, you know, the solution that you had cooked up with your intention is the only way. So you create a problem that leads people to one solution. You're setting the table for that. And I think that happens in our mainstream media all the time. We're given a story and we're presented as if it is one way. And as soon as people start to argue about it, it only goes to another way. So we're kind of like we're setting the table with fixed, finite uh, results. I think that's a lot of what goes on in the media and with with conspiracy theory, because as soon as an event happens that's questionable and, and, and could garner some conspiratorial thinking, there's gaslighting that goes on that that makes people get really defensive and then it becomes less of an objective matter like it was in the laboratory and it's a subjective matter like it was on the street like oh did she text did a bird cause her to crash you know and i think that sort of interplay psychologically is what they're manipulating when they put stories out there and when you see Fauci say something like, well, the masks are, are never going to work. And then two weeks later, he's like, we have to wear masks. We have to wear masks. There's no other way. You're creating those two sides. You're, you're creating that coupling. And, and it only leads to people arguing. And then that leads to that pre-planned decision that you had set up. I mean, if, if all goes well, I think more often than not, the people who are trying to establish that Hegelian dialect of two sides fighting and ultimately leading to one end, I think the people who are trying to induce that ultimately are not as successful as they once would have been because of our ability to communicate on the internet and share contrary information and and really create an, a source of of reality or or a, sorry a rubric for reality outside of authority okay because that's what authority gives us authority gives us the comfort of oh yeah we're all in the same paradigm we're all in the same reality and you saw this happen in ancient times with a king a king would enforce rules but he would also enforce religion because reality was important shaping the average common person in the kingdom's reality was the ultimate 
ultimate. Like you have to have a certain degree of control over your people in your kingdom. And that means being at the head of the religion, being above all the laws and kind of controlling the uh, routine of your people's daily lives. And I think as humans have evolved into larger numbers, this game of kingdom managing has evolved to a even larger scale. And now they use weapons of the mind rather than physical weapons to keep us in line. And conspiracy theory is kind of like the big, you know, heresy now because we're being fed a narrative that keeps us within this society. And I think you've seen it when you look into alternative health more than maybe it, you know, we could start or, or, or stick there because it's a little more relatable, Bob. But you see, like, there's a medical industry that pushes one type of medicine allopathic medicine and that has certain results and it can benefit certain people in certain cases and then you have this other route the holistic route that you know for lack of a better word is is the original because you know like us it comes from the earth and that seems to garner more benefits than the first route that i mentioned the allopathic medicine again based on what you're actually going through because you know everybody has different you know particular particularities with their body and and you know maybe going to a doctor may be beneficial for someone me i tend to stay away from the doctor altogether that's a personal choice that's not something i recommend but i think the the point i'm trying to make is you see it very clearly in the medical industry where there is an establishment medicine and then there's this alternative medicine but that doesn't necessarily mean that what's established is more fruitful or more beneficial than the alternative and i think the same is true within the realm of conspiracy because ever since i've gone down these as many people call rabbit holes I found way more information, comprehensive information that fits within the larger puzzle than I would along the mainstream routes. Because the mainstream routes are always teaching us about war. They're always teaching us about politics. They're always teaching us about men, you know. And I think that that, that is a clue that, you know, we have a certain group of people writing our history. It's the men who win the wars, that's it, you know, and, and that's his story, and that's history, but, you know, history is a lot more complicated than just his story, and I think conspiracy theory is just a part of being human. When you have gaslighting going on and, and a hierarchy of information and someone at the top who says that's wrong and that's right and your brain is dumb, you know, so don't think for yourself i just told you what's right and wrong and don't question that i think that pushes people like me to look further you know I, maybe i'm just rebellious but i think conspiracy theory is really an act of rebellion in this sort of monolithic culture we're in well if that is the definition then i guess i am one too <laughs> Because I'm a big questioner of what I'm told. I have always been that person. Even when I was a kid, that didn't feel right. That doesn't sound right. 
I guess where the where some of the the difficulty comes in is the sort of swirling uh, mass of a variety of truths mm. where you don't know what's, you know, you, you can get confused as to what, what's real and what isn't. And I know it's, you know, it does come down to what's real f- for me, but you know, you, you do have to manage societies in some, some way. Mm. Well, and, Otherwise, and in the past societies were managed with religion, I think as truth and somewhere along the line, Religion and truth became separate entities because religion became a modus operandi of control. Whereas, absolutely, it's, right. a, bus- it's a business and it's a control mechanism. Right, uh, done right. <laughs> so, so I think you know originally and initially, especially if we look at indigenous cultures, you don't see this middleman between the creator and the people like we do in more modern western culture what you see is a rite of passage and that is the case where a man or a woman is initiated into a higher level of knowing now i think what happened and maybe we'll call it zero a.d or before that is that they took that rite of passage out of what we consider western culture and left us in that state of lesser knowing or ignorance of the rites of passage or the initiation. And you see evidence for this. I mean, the Eleusian mysteries, you see secret societies in our culture ever since who initiate a select few rather than, you know, the way indigenous tribes do it is they initiate who shows promise. You know, if somebody like your dumb cousin, Ed doesn't seem like he'd be very much, you know, interested in, in the rites of passage, well then he doesn't learn, but that's fine. Cause maybe that's not his purpose and he's better off, you know, just being the muscle of the group and, and, you know, helping out with the hard labor. That's fine. But I think what we're realizing today is that st- that same dynamic goes on but it's stratified based on class not based on skill or what's the word i'm looking for you know some sort of inner ability right what you're born with like the gifts that you're given you know that was the point is you would be recognized as an individual and then go through the rites of passage to take on uh more responsibility within your community now that the responsibility for the community is left on that higher upper class you know the rest of us we don't we don't receive that learning. We're just, you know, kind of given the the basics so that we can be uh, little bees, worker bees in the colony. Well, I can't argue any of that. Uh, uh, that seems to be the way it is, you know. And there's a uh, well, and the reason, you know, what you said though, and I'm I'm sorry if I'm being really long winded here, Bob, but the you know what you said about you know, there's all these different things. How do we know what's true? I think, you know, my point about bringing up kind of like ancient times and spirituality and indigenous cultures into this is like, there is an inherent truth. Okay. We know that water follows a certain path, right? If you put water on a high ledge, it's going to drip down and find, you know, settle at a level surface and then eventually make it back to water level right sea level we know that water is going to do that it's just 
true for water. Water has certain properties. I'm not an expert. I'm not a scientist. So that's the best I'm going to do. But you get the, the kind of visual I'm laying out here. Fire does this. Water does that. You can't separate them from their inherent truth, right? I think that same or that applies to everything. It's just some things are more subjective than objective and a little harder to get down to the kernel of truth. But there's a kernel of truth in everything and that everything includes us. And I think as human beings, we can tap into a type of knowing that isn't checked by our ego. It isn't, uh, you know, egotistical. It doesn't exist in that sort of logical part of the mind. It's, a, it's an intuitive subtle subconscious knowing that I think you have to really nurture over time. And I think the people we've recognized as holy men or wise people, I think those are people who go inward and they nurture that intuition until it becomes one with the world around it. And I think becoming one with the world around it only gives way for one truth because there is just one truth to explain all things just like water always does what i you know those properties follows those guidelines and fire always follows those guidelines the truth is always going to be a certain way and i think human beings we can tap into that with the right amount of spiritual training and sort of the rites of passage i guess now, i mean now i'm understanding <laughs> how why you're saying what you're talking about conspirituality i see the way you guys have gotten and i'll say you guys but uh, you know, skeptics have come to look for the thing that is uh, constant and was, is underneath everything, uh, underneath our our very being. And that makes a lot of sense, of course. And what I wonder is, now when you talk about indigenous uh, people, and th th that was much smaller groups of people, much more uh, tied to the earth and much more manageable in terms of, of day-to-day -day living. We are now in a planet teeming with billions of people, lots of issues in terms of inequality and money and environment and warring and all these things you're talking about. What is What do you think could be a direction, a solution for some of these unbelievably enormous problems. I mean, I think it is spirituality, but how do we, how do we uh, foster that in a way that people start to see that ultimately really love is the, is the bottom line for all of it, mm. you know, and, and how do you, how do we as a species or even as just individual other than, you know, I can be as compassionate and loving as I can be in my day to day, but I, I don't think I affect that many people to, to change and to open their minds. I mean, I, that's one reason I do the podcast. Obviously, I want information out there that isn't conventional, that maybe is eye-opening in some way or, or helpful. Uh, you know, that's really, you know, so I'm on the side of what works. I always have, have been, but I guess it's deciding what works. And, you know, the... Folks that are, I guess what I'm coming to is the, the folks that are in the world, the conspiracy world, and I know there's quite a few that I've, I have met and I, and I liked very much. So there, it wasn't crackpot city like I had 
imagined when I first heard the word. So it, it was actually the opposite. Very thoughtful people who were questioning. I guess maybe it's just the word has a lot to it, but mm. where, where, where would you like to see us going? Well, uh, I think... What, what, I think this idea of utopianism has kind of infected our modern world. This idea that we can reach a utopia and solve all the problems. Hell no. <laughs> I, I think, yeah, I think, you know, the friction or the problems themselves are the catalyst for growth and for change and for progress. And, you know, when we progress to that next point, we also progress to having a whole new set of challenges in front of us. And then once we get past those challenges, guess what? There's more on the other side. And I think that is the nature of life. You look at a seed, you know, and you look at a seed go from being a seed to being a tree that creates other seeds. What's its purpose? Its purpose is to to create more, right? It's to it's to really progenerate. And I think ultimately we're as human beings in that same physical state of, you know, we got to protect ourselves. We have to eat and we have to drink water and breathe air and, and eventually pass our genes on down to our kids and their kids, so to speak. But as far as, you know, how are we going to fix the world or how are we going to, I think it's, it's just inherent to the world we're in that there are conspiracies. Like I said, you know, you and I talking right now, creating this podcast, we're doing a conspiracy to do a conspiracy podcast, you know, like that's, <laughs> we're conspiring right now. So of conspiracy. <laughs> yes. And the, the world we're in has all those levels too. I mean, it, it really is layers on layers and most have the impression that, you know, everything's been figured out and all they have to do is just deal with life's crap, you know, and they're overwhelmed as it is. With yeah. paying for bills and taking care of their kids and all the other things that people have to worry about on their plate. You know, I think that's the the general consensus so that when, you know, someone like myself gets really excited and finds out some information that maybe is undervalued or, or generally dismissed, you know, it creates this sort of like, oh, I got the solution. I got the solution. And, and, and you're... You, you get turned off if you're one of these regular folks who's just going through the average, you know, spread of problems that the average person has to deal with. Cause you're like, are you crazy, man? Like I got to buy milk. I got to buy meat. I got to, you know, pay for my electricity. I don't care that the lizard people set this all up, you know, but that crazy guy, <laughs> he's like, no, yeah, I don't either. <laughs> yeah. He's like, if only you knew the lizard people were doing this, then we can all stop it. Right. So I think that's really like the misunderstood conspiracy theorist is like, there's a lot of good, good heartedness to that paranoia. Like, and it can take you away from that and bring you down like a spiraling paranoid path that doesn't garner answers. And it certainly doesn't garner a good reputation from, you know, the people you're probably surrounded by, you know, and I found like podcasting has been really cool, maybe a little dangerous in the sense that like now I'm only in touch with people who agree with me, whereas before it was like, only people who disagreed with me and, and every conspiracy theory I shared with a friend or a family member, you know, I would be met with resistance, which yeah. 
was a good thing because I got pushed to go look further and be like, oh, maybe I was wrong. Maybe I need to find, or, or how can I be more, you know, lay it out there. Maybe I didn't explain the facts as well as I did. And I think it's really, you know, catalyzed me to use that word again, to become more articulate, more understood and better at portraying my ideas for people to comprehend that none of those things are, are bad and all are re the result of me getting a lot of resistance for talking about conspiracy theories. I think that's the general feeling you'll get when you get into conspiracy theories is the majority of the people you know are not going to be on board. It's just that's just the way it is. So there's something about our world that is pushing people to think within certain lines. And to me, that's always made me, like you, want to question things and want to go outside of that line of thinking and, and even try to figure out why it's happening in the first place. And, you know, I'm, I'm a human being. I have flaws. You know, I've done things that I regret. I've done, things, I've done things that I shouldn't have done. You know, I've shoplifted. I've stolen things. You know, I'm not exactly a saint. You know, so when I, when I measure that with some of these conspiracy theories i say to myself well you know i i've i can see how some people would do bad things i've done bad things i've you know had a slip of moral character i haven't been a saint my whole life sometimes i have taken shortcuts sometimes i have picked up that ten dollar bill on the floor that you know maybe wasn't mine i shouldn't have picked it up you know i should have left it for the guy who lost it to come back and find it right so i think inherently you know, whether it's our society or whether it's just our nature as human beings, there is a certain element of take for me, greed, you know, and, and, and immoral action that can't be underestimated. And that's where the conspiracy theory stuff can be frustrating because a lot of people have the impression that like, no, most people are like me. I don't do anything wrong. I'm a good person. Well, guess what, Bob? Like, I'm not exactly when I was a teenager, I was not a good person in the sense of like, I probably didn't have as much respect for other people as I should. And, you know, I, I shoplifted stuff. So that gave me this angle of like, oh, well, you know, if I do these bad things, like, why wouldn't the president do a bad thing or why wouldn't? the CIA be doing bad things yeah. or, you know, so I think not that you're naive or anyone listening is naive, but there is a certain amount of naivete that comes with being a human being in the world. You know, you ha you're already overwhelmed with so much as it is. It it's sometimes easier to just take that naive perspective for what's going on in the world and, and just kind of maybe say, well, I wouldn't do that. So how could the president do that? Well, you know, you don't get to those jobs by being a saint. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> let's uh, let's talk about. Let's say somebody is listening to this. Maybe somebody's listening. I hope they are. Of the millions that listen to this podcast, <laughs> they want to know more about the this conspiracy world. Not, and we're not talking my my idea of crackpot we're talking about what mark's talking about here question questioning of you know the status quo what books would you recommend for the beginning person who is interested in finding out more like you were mm. i know you mentioned that encyclopedia of uh, conspiracy that you read from maybe there's two or three books you'd like to recommend to people because my audience is very inquisitive 
Yeah. Well, I would say, you know, as far as recommendation goes, it's all based on alignment, right? Like I said, when I started, I was aligned with animals. When I was a kid, I was aligned with learning about the natural world around me. That unfolded into then learning about history, learning about human beings, learning about society. So I've always had that level of curiosity to kind of go into looking into these things. So the books that I found, they ring true for me, but they might not ring true for your audience. So I would say, you know, go inward and look at what you've been told and really question it. And then from there, find information to contradict it. And then once you have like, you know, contradicting information, now you have a decision like, oh, am I going to go with what I've been told? Or am I going to maybe entertain this other version of the way the world is or this event is, you know, for me was an easy jump as at a young age, because like when you're young, you want to be kind of rebellious, you, you want to kind of rebel against like my grandfather was very conservative and, you know, all for George W. Bush. So me, I'm like, F George W. Bush, he's a jerk, he's a dumb cowboy, you know, like, and all this stuff, and I would, I would, you know, I, at first it was probably just, yeah, rebellion, you know, with no intellectuality behind it, but as I looked deeper, I found there was a, a couple of pretty significant reasons for me to dislike this George Bush character, and his father too, you know, and so my advice to people is if you want to learn about conspiracies, just look at history, just look at what go, what's going on in the past 5, 10, 15, 20 years and, and don't be afraid to look past the first explanation you get. Get multiple explanations and, and find contradictory information and then let yourself be the judge. You know, that I think is the primary point and that's what I wanted to get to touch on when I brought up spirituality because I think that the creator, if, if we want to, you know, insert my beliefs into this i believe that there's an aspect of this world that was created by an intelligent force and i think that intelligent force is the same sort of intelligent force albeit in a smaller much more compartmentalized version that's in our mind you know the intellectual abilities uh, our soul our collective consciousness in my mind it fits into the larger consciousness that is everything right so i'm thinking in terms of mind not matter that is important to say from there you know i think my intuition is able to align itself with the truth just because my consciousness is not separate from the truth it exists in the same consciousness as everything else you know i'm not disconnected from anything else so so my intuition and your intuition and anyone else's intuition with enough uh, practice can, I think, show you exactly what you need to learn for your lifetime. Now, whether or not that is going to be the same truth I find, that's up to for debate. I don't know if there's a collective truth. I know there's a collective truth in my reality, but your reality might be different, and I'm okay with that. You say that I was going to next, you, you just brought it up. I was going to talk about intuition because I think when you're um, aligned with, you know, your inner self, the spirit of the universe, and this is getting a little esoteric here, but 
meditation and those types of things, it heightens your intuition and you just know, maybe not intellectually, but your, the, your intuition tells you when something's not right and when something is right. And you, everyone has experienced that. You ever just meet somebody and they're, they maybe could be happy and smiling and friendly, but you go, something's off with this person. This mm-hmm. is not a trustworthy person. Yeah. And you just know it, you know, that's a, and everyone's had that experience where they, they're just the hair on the back of their neck stands up because they think this is not right. So that's really kind of how I look at a lot of things at this point. It's just, you know, what is, what is my inner feeling about this situation or these set of facts or mm. how this person is presenting themselves. And you can just, you know, I think just that those sort of nonverbal things that we have, particularly when we're dealing with other people, those are really worth trusting. Mm. And, and when you look at some, somebody and you're going like, this doesn't feel right. I know the person's smiling and they're, they're, they're dressed clean and they have a suit on, but I'm, I'm just as not, I don't think so. Right. And I mean, but you know, sometimes we're wrong, but it's also, you know, worth trusting, trusting that exploring beneath the surface of what you're told and, and taking responsibility for your own information. And I think that's really what, what, what this thing is. And it's not what I thought it was. So you have done what I had hoped would happen, educated me as to why you do what you do, why I like you so much, which I do. And, you know, where, where did I have it a little bit off, you well, know, you in, know, in and, terms of, and maybe conspiracy isn't the right word for me. Maybe I need to call it something else. I think healthy skepticism <laughs> and exploration is better for me. Yeah. And, you know, you, you mentioned this, you know, before when we had talked about this, and I think I had said this to you a number of times, it's like, it's not the case of, of bad information. It's the case of a bad representative of that information. I think because, you know, we're all we're all we're all fallible. Even I have said things even in this conversation that I'm probably could have said better or or thought (laughs) harder about, you know. But, you know, seriously, there are people out there who care. uh, And like you said, there are those nonverbal cues that show, okay, maybe this person cares about this thing just as much as I do. I'm going to hear them out. And I think sometimes when we run into somebody who cares about a certain particular thing way more than we do, it's like a huge turnoff. And and sadly, the you know, state of the world we're in educates us this far. And when you run into somebody who's maybe like more educated onto a very niche thing, it might give you the impression of like, why does this person care about this so much? Like that's, that's what I ran into when I was younger. Like I would smoke weed with people, uh, thinking like, Oh, we're all smoking weed. We all have the same, you know, mindset. And then I would bring up UFOs and they'd be like, what are you talking about? Like, (laughs) like, let's just, we, they just wanted to listen to like whatever the hot music was that was out, you know? And, and that's fine no criticism on them they're more of like a type a person possibly and i'm just type x you know or whatever and like i'm just in the fringe from the beginning but i think there's a certain amount of like you said non-verbal language that goes on and i've listened to so many hours of podcasts i've read a lot of different books and i think that 
leaves me with a certain ability to discern what somebody is talking to me about. So when I hear information that is new and I've never heard it before, that piques my interest because I try to be someone who, who at least, you know, like I was when I was looking into animals as a kid, no, I tried to know every animal and where they were from and what, you know, what they did, what their behavior was. And that has transcended into now. I try to have a kind of composite image in my mind of reality. And, and that includes all of the different ideas that are out there for what this reality is. So when I'm interested in learning something, it's not necessarily because, oh, this is my new favorite idea. It's because I, I'm trying to weigh out and see how it fits into that composite image that I've been building this whole time. And I don't think I'm a unique in that. Everybody does that. They might not be aware that they're doing that. And the fact that they're not aware that they're doing that may lead to some problems. So I think that when you're aware of how your mind works and how we build the reality that is how we see the world, and then how we compare that inner reality to the outer reality that is always outside of your mind and will never be you know inside of your mind in the sense that like once it's in your mind it's your mind and not the outside right where there's this sort of split and to me we've kind of always known this and we call it mind body and soul soul being the world around us or how we actually are mind being our inner world or how we see ourselves and body being what we are and how the world sees us right so you have this interplay of of three forms of consciousness forms of self and then you see that in religion over and over you see this the, you know, the holy triangle the holy spirit all of these trinities right so that that's a pattern that's a pattern that fits when it fits into the composite image it hits on all these different points. Oh, people here are using the triangle. People here are talking about three. People here are using a concept with three. Here's an image of three things, right? So that to me is why I believe what I believe because I've weighted against that composite image and I'm not closed-minded. I'm not pre prejudiced. When I learn something, it comes into that composite image. Now, when I hear something that's crazy, and I'm like, that's BS. Well, it doesn't stick around in that composite image for very long, but it has to go through that to sort of be measured against everything else in order to have that quick exit out. I mean, that's kind of how I deal with conspiracies. I don't believe everything I hear. And working for Sam Tripoli, you know, I have to be able to, you know, have people on his show who I necessarily don't agree with, too. Not because, you know, mostly because it's not my job to be like a gatekeeper, but also like to a certain extent, Sam does want me to, you know, exercise a level of gatekeeping in the sense that like, well, if this person's just totally crazy and has no, you know, basis in reality, then maybe we shouldn't have them on the show or, <laughs> or maybe that's super entertaining and like, we'll have them on eight times Bishop Larry Gators. But you know, that that's kind of like where, where I stand with this stuff is like, I don't hang my hat on any rack. You know, I, I try to try to keep my cards close to my chest and, and, and just look at the, the whole picture as neutrally as I can. My next question, which will be my last question, 
What is the name of your podcast so people can listen to more of Mark Steves if they want to? Thank you, Bob. Yeah, and I'll do this, ask you the same because I, I hope we put this uh, out as a swap cast. Okay, but, yeah, let's um, do that. For those who are listening on the Exploding Human podcast, I am Mark Palmer from the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. Bob, I, I'm happy to, to break down conspiracy theories with you. This is a rare opportunity for me because, you know, most of the folks I know in your age group are, are very very closed off to this type of thinking and what podcasting has shown me is that i have so many more friends that share opinions and disagree than i could have ever imagined you know like-minded or not we're able to have an open-minded conversation and uh, i'm really grateful for that so thank you for uh, for having me and do you want me to put the name mark palmer as the guest no, you could put Mark Steves, but I, I like to introduce myself on my show as Mark Palmer because it just okay. it's just more true to who I am. Okay. What does that mean? You're, you why is it more true? What's the Palmer? Well, Palmer was my great grandfather's name. Oh, so it is in the family. I guess. Yeah, okay. yeah. It, yeah. It's I my middle name. Some other meaning, like you use your palm a lot. Or something. <laughs> no, no, that's no, that's a that's a topic for a different podcast entirely. <laughs> uh, 